Good evening and welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. This is a podcast for first responders and those who support first responders. And on this show, we talk about all things first responders, about mental health and wellness, and about the issues that first responders face on the job and off the job. And we want to have deep conversations that inspire you to take care of yourself and and to take care of your peers when it comes to mental health and wellness. My name is Conrad Weaver. I am not a first responder. However, I support first responders in many ways. In one of those ways, I am producing a documentary called PTSD 911. And this show is kind of an, an outreach arm of that film. So we're excited that you have joined us tonight to watch this program. Or if you're listening on Apple, podcast or on your podcast platform. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love to know what you think about the show. If you would like to leave us a review, whether it's in the show notes, in the comments below, or uh, on the review button on Apple Podcasts, uh, or on your podcast platform, please leave us a review and let us know what you think about the show. So about tonight, David Leith was 20 years into his career as a police officer when he saw a need to transition into business. While many first responders make decent salaries, most have never been really trained on how to manage their money or even to how to start a new business. And according to David, most frontline heroes don't know how to talk about their 20 years of experience in a way that translates into money. David is the founder and chief visionary officer at The Hero Coach, and he is the host of the Hero Academy podcast. And on this episode of the PTSD 911 Presents podcast, David tells his story and how he turned his side hustle into a sustainable business that will carry him well into retirement. Stay tuned for his compelling story and our conversation. David, welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really glad that we could connect. Thank you. Me too. I'm really, really happy to be here. And uh, I hope I can give some good value for your listeners. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about who you are and what do you do? What, what's, your, what's your story? So um, it's winter 2020 and I'm into my third shift and I'm yawning an hour into my third shift. <laughs> And I'm in the detective squad. I'm a 20-year police veteran at this point, uh, six years in the detective squad. And uh, I have to get up from my desk and just like walk the halls because I, I'm thinking to myself, uh, I have about 10 years left on my mortgage and I'm thinking, can I even do 10 more years? Hmm. Uh, everything that I have to this date, my, my side business has been born out of boredom and just having a bigger vision for like who I could become and what I could become. I only joined the police department to support my young family. So uh, I gave up one dream. It was to become a pilot uh, for security and the safety of having that uh, police check every two weeks. And I knew that um, in the 90s and early 2000s, a lot of airlines to this day, they're still going through a lot of financial trouble. So, mm -hmm. um, they always need pilots, but you always need police officers. Like mm -hmm. they never, it doesn't matter what the economy is doing. Police officers never get laid off ever. Right. <laughs> it's like, Unless they're defunded. <laughs> it's political suicide. <laughs> right. It's political suicide to lay off police officers. So right, I knew right. that going into the job. Um, but I thought I'd be out in 20 years and then year 20 came 
And uh, I was still enjoying the job, but I thought that I would have already had started like, I thought I'd be a millionaire, to be honest. <laughs> you know, uh, one of my first mentors, he dropped a seed in my head. He said, what if your monthly and what if your annual income became your monthly income? And that seed just like it sat, it sat inside of my soul for a long, long time. And I've been pondering that thought for a long, long time. So as I'm walking the hallways of, of the precinct, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I need to reinvent myself. I need to uh, start doing more for the people that I consider heroes. Like my podcast is called The Hero Academy, and it's by David Diem, D-I-E-M, like Carpe Diem. And um, it's for, it's representing for first responders, such as police officers, firemen, uh, nurses, and, and other emergency medical personnel. And I believe that they're frontline heroes because they show up to work and they put their life on, the, they literally put their life on the line. Mm -hmm. Other people consider, you know, garbage men and, and teachers heroes because of the duties that they carry out, but they're not necessarily risking their life mm -hmm. like the people that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I decided to represent for them and create a platform where their voices could be heard and their stories could be heard. I never ask about their worst moment on the job. I always mm -hmm. talk about the fun things and like their best memories of the job. And then I, I, I talk about the transition, the shift. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to your identity and, and what do you see yourself as? Like, do you see yourself as, as your job or as your career or what is your story? Mm -hmm. And I help people with their story. So that's, mm -hmm. I, that's what I help them with, their, their business story and, and how they can turn their experience of 15 or 20 years in their career. Everyone's had some kind of experience that they can turn into a career and use that experience to help someone else. Mm -hmm. and I want to get deeper into that, but I want yeah. to back up a little bit. And I want to say, I want to ask you, when you know, 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, what made you get into that besides looking at just the financial aspect of it of, Hey, they're not going to fire. They're not going to, you know, lay off the cops. What, so what I was in, I was in high school and a recruiter came to my uh, economics class and um, he said, fill out this form because you never know where you'll be in two to three years in life. Uh, it takes some time for the test to come out and it takes some time for them to do their, uh, background checks and the psychological. And he's like, by the time all of that's done, it could be four years later, you know, it could be three to four years later. So, um, in high school and I get the phone call from my high school sweetheart that we're expecting our first son. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I have to support this family because, uh, my father was the type of father who would call once a year to wish me happy birthday. <laughs> so I knew that I didn't want to be that kind. He was like literally a bum that like slept on the streets. So I knew that that wasn't going to be, uh, my legacy or my destiny. So I was like, how can I support this family? And uh, honestly, police sounded like the fastest and easiest route that I could go. I knew I had a you know clean record and, um, and I was athletically fit. You know, I was only uh, 19 years old when I went to college for criminal justice. And uh, it just seemed like 
it seemed like an easy route to go. That recruiter, he planted the seed. He was so funny when he came to our high school. He was like making the class laugh. And I was like, I never really considered it prior to that. And I was like, man, that sounds like a really awesome opportunity. And then I knew that uh, we were talking before we started recording about how much certain counties make. And I knew that my county was a wealthy county and it was one of the highest paid police departments in the world. So um, when I actually got on the job as a young rookie cop, I would be driving around these wealthy neighborhoods. And the question always plagued me, as you mentioned as well, like, what do all of these people do for a living? And I quickly mm. realized that they're not police officers. <laughs> <laughs> most of your, them, most your of paycheck them, wasn't going to buy that that mansion on the on the water, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a it's a great salary, and it's allowed me to uh, put stamps on my passport and travel to different countries and take the family on vacations. But it didn't allow me to put my kids in private school, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so sure. like it was, a, it was a very good life and secure mm -hmm. life the mm -hmm. last twenty years. So, but, so how did how did those twenty years change you? So, I I honestly believe that um, it's made me it's made me more conservative, you know. Like, mm -hmm. um, not to get political on your mm -hmm. show, but uh, you go in. You know, I, I tell people I grew up on the edge of the hood. I wasn't in the hood, but I was on the edge of the hood. <laughs> and uh, and you you have some you have certain beliefs about the way the world should work and the way that um, society should work. And then, um, you know, you start to see patterns in people. Like one of the things that I know from working, I, I worked in various different hoods, and one of the things that I know is that most of the homeowners, most of the people that live in those places are good people. And then you just have a small percentage of the population who are continually, continually getting into trouble. And um, it's like, what do you do with those people? You know, like you have to, you have to be tough on them. They're committing crimes in the neighborhood that they live and sometimes outside the neighborhood that they live. And they're continually repeating to do those crimes. Like at some point you have to stop like coddling people and like you have to say, all right, where does personal responsibility come into play? And um, I, if it wasn't for this career, I know that I could have easily gone down a bad path because of uh, some of my friends when I was a teenager, you know, they got into selling drugs and, uh, you know, like I, I realized very quickly on on that, uh, like I'll give you an example. One night I, uh, I'm like about 15 years old and I go out late with one of my friends and uh, he has a bright idea that we're going to go get something from someone. And uh, the police come by before, before, while we're en route and we have to dive into the bushes. And then when I stand up from the bushes, I said, all right. This is not the life for me. <laughs> I am I am not a thug. Uh, this is not the life for me. I am not a criminal. Uh, and I, I was basically scared straight just from a cop rolling by, you know. So who did you have in your life that helped guide you into that mentality, into that thinking? Um, I had, you know, I didn't have like really a lot of uh, positive male role models in my in my life. I was raised by a single mother. Um, but I did have a stepfather, 
her boyfriend who was a great, great guy and just like a very loving guy. And he was like a mechanic. He worked on cars. Uh, he had a, he had a good solid job. So, um, I can't say that I had no one, mm -hmm. uh, shout out to Harold Bowden. Harold mm -hmm. was a great role model. And then, um, it was really my teachers, uh, Mr. Dennis Terry from uh, Longwood High School. He always wore a suit to school and he always commanded the respect of the students. And uh, he's the same one that had that police recruiter come into the class. And I, I believe that everything works out the way it's supposed to work out. You know, everything happens for a reason. And I'm supposed to be going down this path because now I can help other first responders who maybe struggling with like what to do next mm -hmm. like the, there's such an ocean of opportunity on the internet that it is unbelievable like what you can do with a uh, a simple one thousand dollar product you just think about it if you have a one thousand like a 997 product you don't need many many sales across the entire world to uh to build a very very good life for yourself but it's just like okay, so what do I build, you know, and how do I market it? What do I offer? And, you know, what kind of systems do I set up mm -hmm. on the backside? All, all of that, it helps when you have guidance, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, what I try to tell our frontline heroes is that you can be a coach. You don't have to create a product. You can just offer your assistance to, to someone else. Like when I Google, uh, nurse coach or fire coach or police coach there's so many different types of coaches that come up like they coach on how to pass exams they coach on uh just life success in general that you know there's so many different types of coaches i happen to be a business coach but it doesn't mean that everyone has to coach on business you just you have experience in your life that translates into money just people don't know how to make that translation, you know? So while you were going through your career as, as an officer and you're still working in that I'm still career, an correct? active duty detective. Yeah. Duty. yeah. Yeah. So at what point did you really discover that this is something that you're interested in, in helping others and, and perhaps even developing a business surrounding that? What led you to that discovery? So it was really one of my first mentors. It, well, what led me to it was driving around wealthy areas and talking to some of the homeowners and finding out that, you know, a lot of them own their own businesses. Uh, they started it, you know, when they were young or, you know, they, they had a business passed down from the family. But a lot of it was business or they were some other type of professional. And uh, but primarily business or real estate. And I went down the rabbit hole of real estate. Mm -hmm. I found a mentor um, and I flew to Toronto to meet with him. And he told me that I had a book inside of me and mm -hmm. I believed pretty much everything that he said. So I started writing, I sat down at my kitchen table and I started writing like a page a day and I ended up publishing a book. It's called The Pathway to Prosperity and it's a personal development book. It's on Amazon now by David Leith. Uh, I think everything I do in the future will have my pen name, which is David Diem, <laughs> because I always thought that I was going to go uh, undercover, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, so I didn't want to use my real name. So anyway, he led me down that rabbit hole of uh, personal development and I owned 
three homes when I was like under 30. Wow. Two, two of them I had to sell. Uh, one, I wish I, I had, I wish to this, to this day, like I learned this lesson too late in life that wealthy people, they don't sell, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they just hold and just hold and hold. Like if I still had that other home to this day, it would be probably worth double the value of what it was when I bought it and I could pass it down to my children. And like, so back to real estate, it, when I do purchase my second and third home, my dream is to buy, I have three sons. So my dream is to buy a home for each of them when they can afford the taxes and the mortgage and everything. But my dream is to help them each buy a home, you know, whatever I can help them put down on it, whether it's 20 or 30,000 each, you know, mm -hmm. God willing. Um, my dream is to help them buy a home to start them down the path of financial freedom and then tell them never, ever sell that home. It's, it's okay to take a uh, equity loan from your home and buy another home, mm -hmm. but don't ever sell your home. Like keep it in the family mm -hmm. for the rest of our natural lives, you know, like mm -hmm. wealthy people don't sell. They just like, that's why you can't buy. That's why it's very hard to buy a parking garage. Parking mm -hmm. garages are an excellent source of passive income. But if that's in your family name, why would you ever sell that? Sure. <laughs> think of, think of how little maintenance, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things out there like, like that, that are like parking garages or storage facilities, you know, like mm -hmm. a storage facility, you need one employee to maintain it. Right. <laughs> you, you know, and you if you have passive that, income just as you sleep, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you have that in your family, why would you ever sell it? Like, unless, un unless you don't have family to pass it down to, you know, that's unfortunate for some people. What are some of the challenges that you faced when you started going down this path? What are some of the obstacles that you had to overcome? So I would say the biggest challenge was not having guidance and um, not having the financial means to pay for the guidance that I needed. You know, mm -hmm. the, the best coaches are expensive, you know, mm -hmm. that's because they can give you the, the fastest shortcut. Mm -hmm. So I, and I really believe in, in hiring coaches. I really believe in um, study. So if I couldn't afford the coach, then what I would do is I would just buy the book and I, you know, I would try and follow the books, but it's not the same as having a live person that you can get on the phone and have you ever hired a mentor or a coach for anything? I have, uh, I, I, I hired someone, well, I, I bought a program right? and it was a, it was a seven day intensive that, uh, that was amazing. It, it was yeah. when I first started to get into mind and, and how to transform my mind. And it really made a huge difference. I mean, it was, it wasn't that expensive. It was like 500 bucks yeah, for a yeah. seven day program. But my goodness, the, the transformation that it helped me, it started me down this path of really working on myself and, and improving myself, starting with my mind. Yes. And, that's uh, where it begins. Yeah. And now, I mean, there's so many resources available online on, on YouTube. I actually, I watch this 10 minute, uh, power jolt every morning on YouTube that while well, I'm eating breakfast and it's just, uh, it's a kind of a, a compiled video audio clips of different people speaking of just this amazing, I mean, this morning I was feeling kind of bad. I had a bad headache and I was just, thinking I should just go back and lay down and just shouldn't. And I turned on my YouTube 
and all of a sudden I was up pumping iron. It was that mental transformation. And, and the one thing that got me was, and I forget the woman's name. She's very popular in the, in the, the motivational speaking. I forget her name, but she was like, if you, if you just start your day and you do the hard thing, you, you take that five minutes and you do the hard thing that starts you down a path of doing the hard thing and it becomes easier and pretty soon becomes a habit and pretty soon it becomes what you do. Yes. It's, it's just like when you're teaching a kid how to brush his teeth. Oh, dad, this is so hard. You know, how can I do this? You know, and pretty soon they don't even think about it. Right. Because it's something you do every single day. And Have you so, ever read or listened to Atomic Habits? By James, you know, Clear. I know about the book. I've not read it. I've got. Uh, I'm actually reading a couple of habit books right now. Uh, one of them is something called Badass Habits or something like that. All right. But, if uh, you get an opportunity to listen to that audio book, it, it okay. makes for an excellent audio book. Mm -hmm. So, if you get the opportunity to listen to that one, I highly, I tell everyone to listen to uh, Atomic Habits. One of the things he talks about is taking on the identity of uh, of a non of a non smoker, or like if you decide you want to start running or cycling, taking on the identity of mm. that person. So like if you want to start cycling, what do cyclists do? They they go to, they go to the store. They get the the special shoes that you can lock in, yeah. and they start spinning. You know, they start doing mm. spinning at least a few times a week. So he talks about taking on that identity, and it's it's just. It's such a good book. I tell everyone about that book because um, the way that you change your story is you change your identity. Like mm -hmm. you were talking about the mind up here mm -hmm. first, and that's where it all begins. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I talk about is that a house is built three times. Have you ever heard that before? Mm -mm. No. So, so in 2010, uh, we built our house. Um, we had we had a house, but we we had a house built in 2009, 2010, you know, into the new year. And um, first I had an idea that I had never had a basement before. That's where I am now. I'm down in my basement. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I asked the builder, the, uh, the builder came to my house. I met with him. Great, smart, smart guy, young guy. And I asked him, I'm like, hey, this is what I'm thinking of. I'm like, I want to uh, have a basement in the front part of the house here. Uh, lose a little bit of the driveway. It was about 700 square feet. Um, so we lost a little bit of the driveway, but we, we actually, and, and he said to me, he's like, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, then, then like, I'm thinking that the builder is just going to take my idea, uh, from my head and then he's just going to start doing it. But he's like, no, we got to hire a architect. Mm. And it's like six, six, $7,000 for architect. Mm. I'm like, I'm like, wait, I kind of know what I want, but he's like, he's like, no, this is like town code you have to hire an architect to do this and so so it so it was first built in my head hmm. like i had a vague idea of what i wanted to do then the art architect he drew it out and we looked at it and we made some changes to the roof line but he he drew it and then the builder built it so that's like three times mm -hmm. and um your life is the same thing. Like first you can imagine the way that you want your life to be, right? Mm -hmm. Then you can be the architect. You can be the author of your story. So you take out a literal pen and paper and you write down, this is the way and these are the plans to get there. 
And then you also have to be the builder as well. And that's where the hard work, that's where the, yeah. la- that's where the labor comes in. You know, yeah. like making the plans is uh, kind of easy. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like you just write down, all right, I would like to do a podcast once a week and I would like to speak on stages and I would like to travel. So my plan is I would like to travel six to 12 times, I, I think 12 times a year hopping on a plane at, mm-hmm. at max. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of my work I would like to do from home. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my plan. Mm-hmm. And so far, life is going pretty well according to plan. You know, like I, uh, I hop on a plane about once a month and um and i do i do my podcast from home and i find it really easy to reach out to people and connect with people like uh there's so many resources nowadays you know sure. but 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 i just want your audience to remember that uh building analogy that every home is built three times you know mm. It's it's literally built at least three times. Sometimes it's built like four How times. How important is it to write it down for you? Writing it down is thinking. And that's what a lot of people, for, for me, writing something down is thinking. And it's also a purging process. Hmm. So like if I have something in my mind, um, I can get it more clear by writing it down. And I sometimes if I don't have access to paper... I will take notes in my phone. I'm a big uh, cell phone guy. You know, I told you before, I'm a big tech guy. And uh, not not that I know how to use all the tech out there, but if I know how to use a simple thing like Siri, I'll go, uh, Siri, remind me on Friday to, you know, make notes about X. Mm-hmm. And then that gets it out of my mind. So now I know it's, all right, I got the reminder. Or I'll just take out my notes and I'll just like write a few notes, like the plan the plan for the rest of the year, you know, quarter one, quarter two, quarter three. Mm-hmm. And then when I have the opportunity, I do have a journal. I have a couple of journals and I'm also in a, uh, a coaching program um, where we have a year long uh, calendar. We have a big calendar and we plan out our year. And it's, it's more about like creating a great life than it is about creating income. So some of, some of the advice is just like, what can you remove from your life? Like, cause, cause my, my big question when I had the opportunity to ask a question was, you know, how do you get so much done? How do you compress time? One of the ways that I compress time is when I'm on the treadmill, I'm listening to an audiobook, mm-hmm. or when I'm in the car, I try to listen to an audiobook then. So, um, when I'm home, I just read, I read like maybe five, 10 minutes and the rest of the rest of the books I'm getting on audiobook when I have the time mm-hmm. and I'm listening to podcasts when I'm on the treadmill also. So that's one of the ways that I compress time. Um, one of the ways that my mentor, my mentor is plural, compresses time is he, uh, he re- looks for things that he can eliminate. Like what can, what can you take off of your plate? either uh, delegate or completely eliminate, you know? Mm-hmm. So how does this kind of work, self-work, as I call it, how does it fit into your job as a law enforcement officer? So God willing, this will be my last year. I absolutely uh, love my job. I'm extremely grateful 
for the life that my career has given me. Um, but I'm at a point where I'm starting to realize that I'm done with the job and I'm ready to transition into the retired life and into business for myself. So what this personal work has done for me is it's allowed me to realize that I am 100% responsible for my results. You know, especially, especially transitioning from getting a check every two weeks to you have to go out and hunt for your food. <laughs> That's a very difficult uh, transition, you yeah. know? Yeah. We, we mentioned uh, monetizing the podcast. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot this year. Um, I don't have as many years podcasting as you do, mm -hmm. but I've been definitely thinking how can I monetize the podcast? How can, you know, and like, and I Google it, I watch YouTube videos about it mm -hmm. and it comes down to uh, putting in the work, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, yeah, like going to the gym, you just got to go put in the work with it, and being consistent. Being, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what keeps you focused on that? It, it, it kind of seems like you have kind of discovered your purpose in, in as you come along your journey, would you say that with that you've discovered purpose in, in, in your in your life? I 100% would say that. I remember reading uh, Think and Grow Rich mm -hmm. by Napoleon Hill, mm -hmm. and uh, the very first chapter is a definiteness of purpose. And I was stuck on that chapter for a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I would say like years because I was like trying to figure out what my purpose was, and mm -hmm. and I knew that I wanted to be a speaker. I knew that I wanted to inspire people, but I didn't really know, like, inspire them to do what? Like, I was asked that question, inspire them to do what? <laughs> and uh, I, I would say I found my purpose because I realized, you know, like a close, one of my classmates committed suicide mm. and one of my supervisors committed suicide. Mm. And it's like, so many first responders and and then my um my other half one of her co-workers a nurse killed herself at work mm, wow and there's just like so many people that they they've lost hope and mm -hmm. i know that if if i can just be a little part like i know i can't fix all of the world's problems but i know that if i can just bring a little hope to people. Mm -hmm. Like like you was talking about listening to that uh, YouTube video and it gets you like motivated and pumped. I want to be that voice that your listeners listen to, your audience listens to, and they're like, man, that guy gives me a little bit of hope. You know, mm -hmm. like if you just help one person every day, that's the best acronym for hope. Mm -hmm. Help one person every day. It, it, it energizes you and it brings, it brings new life. And the quickest way to get out of your own way and get out of your own problems is to help someone else. Mm -hmm. Like when you're feeling down, that's when you need to go and like try to, to go to like a, a uh, senior citizen home and see, mm -hmm. see like, hey, I just want to volunteer for a few hours. Mm -hmm. What can, who can I help today? You know, because yeah, you can get so wrapped up in your own mess your own world your own mess and and it becomes overwhelming right and i and yes. i and i'm working with some people that are in that right now and and it's like you know how but so how can you get someone who's that deep into their funk to to 
be take that first step, which seems really scary to begin reaching so, out and helping others? I was going to say step one, step one is recognizing that you're under a tremendous amount of stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a couple of traumatic inc- uh, incidences in my life. When I was uh, 20 years old, my 17-year-old brother was killed. Oh, wow. Yeah, murdered, uh, mm-hmm. stabbed in the stomach and died from it. So that was the first traumatic really, really traumatic thing where like it tore my heart open and I can understand people's pain when they lose someone because I lost someone early in my life that, you know, it was my baby brother, mm-hmm. but I healed from it. Um, over time that the, the day he passed away, I went to my karate class and I was like kicking the bag and punching the bag. And like, I was dying inside, but, um, I, sw- I sweated it out and you know, the support of all of my classmates um, in the dojo, you know, that really, really helped. Mm -hmm. So the next traumatic thing that I went through was losing my high school sweetheart. Mm -hmm. So at some point, um, you know, marriages don't always work out. She decided she was no longer happy and wanted out of the marriage. And I commend her for her courage for uh, leaving, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) she wasn't happy. So you know, bravo for her, but it tore a hole in my heart again, (laughs) you know? So that was like a traumatic, uh, incident for me. So I reached out to my, um, my union and I said, listen, I'm, I'm not suicidal, but I definitely need someone to talk to. I'm under a tremendous amount of stress. And at that time I was in the special victims unit Mm -hmm. dealing with horrific cases. Mm -hmm. I had just been promoted to detective and I was going, and my life at home was falling apart. So I was mm-hmm. under a tremendous amount of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, they, they linked me up with a professional. I went and the first day I went to talk to him, I could barely even speak. Like mm-hmm. I was just like trying to get everything off my chest. But by the what end of gave, that session, what, I want to, what gave you the yeah, courage sure. to ask, to ask for help? Because so many I know, people that I've I, talked to, I know to so many people. So many people don't. Yeah, they're, they're afraid to. I I know. I know. Um, what gave you that courage? I because I, my mother was very religious, and um, she always taught that this too shall pass. Hmm. You know, she always taught me little things from the Bible, and and uh, I'm not very religious, but my mother was very religious, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I grew up that way, and. Um, I just, I, I always know that when, whenever there's a storm that, you know, it's going to pass eventually, no matter like, and, and another one of my favorite quotes from Les Brown is if you're going through hell, don't stop there. <laughs> don't yeah, stop yeah. to look around. Right. <laughs> you know, you're going, going through hell. Don't, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Just keep pushing on. Don't mm-hmm. stop to look around. So I, I know that whenever you're in the midst of a storm, no matter how stressful it is, I know that eventually the storm is going to pass. And uh, I just had the wherewithal and the the insight to know that I needed someone to talk to. I was like, um, I need I need help, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just want people to realize that hey, if you're strong enough to carry the burden of your job, and you believe that you can help other people, then you should become a coach to help other people because. 
like I know that I'm strong enough to carry a shit ton of stress, <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know, and I and I know that if it becomes too much of a load to bear, then I'll reach out again for help. And I know that the solution is talking to people. So I just believe so much in the value of a coach that it it's changed my life for the better. Mm -hmm. And I know that it can like if I can create, so my my big, hairy, audacious goal mm -hmm. is to empower 1 million frontline heroes through 10,000 coaches by 2031. Wow. So if I can create, and I know that I can't personally create 10,000 coaches, but if I can create 100 coaches that cannot create, then mm -hmm. go create more coaches, um, you know, we can be a, a strong, strong force for good. What was the first There's thing so many when, people. You, when you reached out for help, uh, what was the first thing that that coach had you do? So I went, um, so it was a peer group who showed up at my door and, and the first, the very first thing that we did was I said, Hey, let's go for a walk around my block. It was uh summertime at the time. And, um, I said, let's go for a walk. And so I can, you know, spill my guts. And as we walked and talked, I just, I felt better. And then they referred me to a professional. So I went to a therapist and I, I did like a few months talking with him. And like I said, the very first time I went to talk to him, I had such a lump in my throat, I could barely talk. And I didn't want to cry in front of the man, but I was like on the verge of uh, of that. And I, I may have even cried one of the sessions, you know, <laughs> but uh, I was on the verge. I had such a lump in my throat that I could barely speak and just, honestly, just talking, like he was just really good at, it wasn't so much the advice he gave. It was just, he was a great listener. Um, and I believe being a podcast host makes you become a great listener as well, you know, for sure, <laughs> because for sure. Uh, sometimes, sometimes one of my urges is like, oh yeah, that happened to me. And I want to tell my story too, when I'm talking, you know, and I'm like, oh, I just got to zip my lips and I just had to, you know, like, I got to be a good listener at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, I like to have, I like to have a back and forth conversation. It's very hard for me to not ask you questions <laughs> and be curious about Conrad, you know? Mm. Um, but I know that this is an interview, uh, for your audience and it's an interview of me. So I try now to just tell a story that can, you know, inspire a little bit of hope. The, mm. the two number one stressors that male or female that anyone's going to go through is going to be a relationship stressor or it's going to be a financial stressor. Mm. And, and sometimes those get two through, are linked, right? <laughs> and sometimes very often, very often they're yeah. linked. The number one thing that couples fight about is, yeah, is uh, money. money. Yeah. And, every, and everyone knows this, everyone knows this, but it, it's like when you're in the storm, how do you deal with it? Mm. You know? Have and you found my that advice in, is, in your world ahead. of law enforcement and first responder community, I had someone tell me, someone else tell me this, who is a first responder, said, you know, you know, one year everybody was buying like jet skis because their buddy yep. had one and then the next guy yep. buys one. And, and then a couple of years later, everybody was buying something else, you know, it was the new fad and, and yep. it just creates debt for many of these first responders if they don't have a savings account that, you know, they just put it on the credit card or take out a loan and pretty soon they find themselves, you know, uh, in a place where it's really tough and they're having to work more overtime to pay, to make the payments. And, 
and uh, it just snowballs. Don't, don't I know it? <laughs> <laughs> don't I know it? Uh, I got to the point where I used to be an overtime hound because the money was good and like it was just extra money. But then I got to the point where I realized that overtime is you more time at work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's over your amount of time. <laughs> it's literally over the amount of time that you should be at work. And I got to the point where I started not not being sick of the overtime, but just being like, I don't know if I necessarily need to stay tonight, you know, or stay tomorrow. And like I started going home a lot more and just enjoying being off than being at work for the money. And I'll never forget uh, one of my mentors said, if you're in a hole, stop digging. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I read... I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki mm-hmm. um, when I was in my 20s. So that's what led me down that real estate path. And I understood good debt versus bad debt and liabilities versus assets. You know, is it taking money out of your pocket or is it putting money into your pocket? So mm-hmm. I understood that at a very young age. And that's why I owned a couple of homes because I thought I had business cards made up that said real estate investor. I thought I was going to be like this big real estate investor. But, you know, the more the more you have, sometimes the more problems you have. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, like there, there's a uh, it's with real estate in particular, there's a there's a tough balance of are you doing everything or are you hiring a property manager to do things? You know, mm-hmm. um, it's a tough balance. And if you don't have money in reserves, uh, for things that go wrong inevitably. Like I had a tenant, he, he would always pay, but he would pay 70% of his rent. <laughs> and then and then the next week, he'd give me an additional, uh, you know, 10%. He mm. never was quite on time. He was never, he was always catching up. Mm. And I went through about six months of him catching up, but me covering, mm. me covering the whole mortgage myself, mm-hmm. you know, like, and he's always catching up. So he's never like, and I'm doing the math and he's like, he got to a point where it became Christmas time and he was like a full payment behind. Mm. And I'm like, listen, uh, you know, I got an additional comp check at Christmas time. I'm like, don't worry about, uh, the fact that you're a full month behind. I'm like, let's just start a new slate and, uh, you can pay me, you know, on this date, Mm-hmm. <laughs> the full amount that you need. And he had he had a steady job. Mm-hmm. So it was just a matter of, I know he was robbing Peter to pay Paul sure. and he never had the full amount. So at, even after that Christmas, the, the very next month, he did the same thing. He didn't pay me the full amount and it was just so frustrating. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had to evict him. And then I wasn't in a rush to get another tenant after that bad experience. Mm-hmm. So I sold that house. And that's the one that I mentioned before, like, oh God, if I would have just kept that house, you know, like, but at the time I couldn't swing two mortgages, you know, Sure. I wasn't a detective. I was a, you know, regular street cop, just Mm -hmm. trying to uh, take care of my own family. Mm -hmm. And uh, God, I wish I could have kept that other house, but you know, like I was saying, go go ahead. So now you, you. You have a business where you help other first responders kind of work through some of these things and financially. Yes. So how easy or how hard is it for you to convince a first responder to really dig into this and, and to really make a change? Well, I don't try to convert uh, the non-believers. Mm-hmm. I try to talk to the believers mm-hmm. who already believe in the power of the internet. Like 
there's so many people making so much money. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mentioned before the podcast started, there's 18 million millionaires in the U.S. Um, the numbers are astronomical. It's like I, I forgot how many new there is a day, mm-hmm. but there's so. If you Google it, it's mm-hmm. like an easy stat to find. But there's so many new millionaires being made. Um, like millionaire status will set you up well for the rest of your life, but you have to kind of want to do the work, mm-hmm. you know, like it shows up in overalls. Mm-hmm. And um, I talk to a lot of people. I, I have some coworkers who said, when I retire, I'm never doing anything again for the rest of my life. And I'm like, that sounds horrible. It sounds miserable. <laughs> you know, and the like statistics I plan- prove that that's, that doesn't work, right? No, because it doesn't work. You're going to die. You're going to die quickly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to die very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. If you sit around in your house and you just flick through Netflix, <laughs> you're just flicking that remote, you're going to die very, very quickly. But if you want to live a long life and be active and maybe retire a little bit sooner, then you need to start something on the side, a little side hustle. You know, it doesn't have to be a podcast. It could be a simple website. It could be a coaching business where you're uh, helping some uh, somebody else, whether it's in their relationships, their um, finances, or their health. You know, there's some niche that you can help someone in and they'll find your skill, your advice valuable. Mm-hmm. And how do you find that that niche for you? Is it where you look at your own life and and see what you're really good at? Yeah, you look at your experience and you, you just ask yourself, where where am I strongest? Am I strongest in the uh the relationship field? Well, I went through a divorce, but I was married for 18 years. So I don't think that I'm strongest in the relationship field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I could I could advise people how to uh keep your wife happy, maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe. Um, but the health the health field, I uh I just feel like um it's not my love, it's not my passion, but I do love business and personal development. And I think I can combine those two into a life success program where I'm helping someone to realize their strength and, you know, realize that, hey, this thing is viable. You know, like if you had one to two clients paying you anywhere from one to, you know, $5,000 to be, you know, to be their, their coach, um, you don't need many clients, mm-hmm. you know, to make a really, really decent living. Mm-hmm. And then you find ways to leverage it. I, I found 27 different ways to leverage coaching. And I, mm-hmm. I created a podcast, um, not a podcast, a, a resource for that. I, I want to share it with you because uh, you already have the podcast. Uh, do you have an email list, comrade? I do. I do. You it, do. It's not a big one, but I've got I've got several email lists for different things that I'm doing. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I've had email lists, and then I've shut them down. Um, I need that's one area that I need to focus on now is building out my email list and my customer database mm-hmm. because um, you know, like you know where your weaknesses are, and I know that that's something it's been like plaguing my mind. Mm-hmm. I need to build my email list. I need to build my email list, but I'm just so focused on uh, getting speaking opportunities to stand on stages mm-hmm. and inspire people that 
the email list is kind of in the background, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's one of those things. And I have a, I have an assistant who works with me. How can you um, leverage your speaking opportunities to, to grow that email list? Is there a way to, perhaps you could put on the screen a, a QR code that, Hey, you know, I have something I want to give you for free. Scan yeah, this lead QR magnet. code, scan yes. the QR code on the screen and, and you, you gather their information that way. Uh, that's what I've been struggling with is what is the most valuable thing that I can give away um, as as a lead in exchange for an email address. Mm-hmm. Like what is something that people would find very, very valuable? So my first idea was the 27 sources of income from coaching business. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking instead of 27 sources, maybe 27 ideas to uh you know build a to build a side business mm-hmm. i i don't know i have to play with it a little bit i have to really give it thought i i don't know the problem is i don't know what people want mm-hmm. that's the problem mm-hmm. so i have to fi- i have to figure that out and figure maybe out you could like, experiment with it and you know start with instead of 27 start with you know top 10 top 10 here's my top 10 list for uh, you know, ideas to start a business and and create yeah. a white sheet or a, or a PDF that that yeah, you can yeah. give away for free. You know, put that on your website and say, hey, if you want to, if you sign up for this, I'll, I'll send you the top ten ideas for starting a business. And just, I, I like grow it. your list that way. It's it's all it's all experimentation. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. It's like you have to experiment, and you have to try new things, and you have to just like continually make offers to people. Mm-hmm. Um, my my primary offer right now is uh, herocoachacademy.com. Mm-hmm. And my website is my name. It's davidleith.com. I'm sorry I did not send you my bio, but I, I will send you that email. <laughs> and uh, send me a link to that YouTube video that sure. you watched this morning. Yep, I will. All right? I, I definitely want to check and that I'll, out. Because, and for, uh, the, for the show, for the, for the audience, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, it's fantastic. So... When you get into your your next thing like this and your your coaching your your business, how does that make you feel? Uh, it makes me feel hopeful. It makes me so. In the beginning of my story, I felt uh, bored and I felt a little disillusioned by the job. Although I was still grateful for everything that this uh, career has offered me. I just felt a little disillusioned, a little bored, and there's so much change, so rapid. Um, and I, I know that most people don't feel like defund the police is a great idea. <laughs> you know, I know that most most honest people uh, understand that that's kind of a bit of lunacy. And you know, unless you have something in place to replace mm-hmm. the police department, there will be anarchy and mayhem if you remove your police department. And I think Minnesota quickly realized it, that. It's been proven several times this past couple of years, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think they realized that that was a, uh, you know, pretty bad idea. Yeah. But um, so it makes me feel hopeful. It makes me feel excited for my future. You know, like instead of, dreading my next 10 years i'm actually really really excited about what's to come like i told you uh before we started that i'm somewhat of a futurist but i'm also an optimist as well like i am an eternal optimist like i'm so excited about and you know what sometimes 
Uh, I don't know if you know who Russell Brunson is, yeah. ClickFunnels, mm -hmm. but yep. he, he mentioned uh, in one of his podcasts, uh, you have the uh, white hat people, you have the black hat people mm -hmm. and the green hat. And like, I'm one of the white hat people like, hey, let's do this. We can do this. Let's go, <laughs> you know. And then I, I need... I need the other half to say, uh, well, what about this? What about that? You know, I tend and, to and be I the same necessarily... way. I'm, I'm kind of the big idea guy and I just kind of uh -huh. just go for it. You know, I like to say I throw my uh -huh. hat over the fence and then I got to go chase yes. it, you know, and, yes, and yes. sometimes I, I need people in my life and my wife is a good sounding board for me. She kind of pulls the reins back, says, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, and she, and actually all my film projects, so I'm, you know, a primarily documentary filmmaker, all of my film projects were green lighted by her. I, I passed okay. the idea through her because oftentimes I, it, a film, especially like this one I'm working on PTSD 901 takes me away from home for a week or two at a time. And so I need to have her buy-in in order to make this happen. And so I don't just say, Hey honey, I'm leaving. I'm going to go make this, this movie. No, we're in this together. And so I need that in my life to someone that, that will kind of be my checks and balances. And, and she provides that for me. And I have a, a business coach as well, who I can bounce ideas off of. And he, and he shoot, he's a straight shooter, you know, and he, he lets me know what, what you need those up. people in your life. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely do. Uh, your wife is, I, I think it's a green hat. I think she's the mm -hmm. green hat. She gives you the green light. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, in fact, my very first documentary was actually her idea. And I was watching, I was reading a blog, you know, about the, 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 the people who harvest wheat and they go travel across the country and they live in RVs. And I was reading this blog and she looked over my shoulder and she was like, you should make a movie about that. Little did she know <laughs> what that would lead to a whole career in filmmaking. So, uh, so I blame her. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. That's really, really, really cool. So, uh, how did you, uh, I have one question for you. How did you get into PTSD? Were you, do you have family or were you in, um, no. So one of those fields? No, I, I it actually came out of my my earlier film, I have a film that came out in 2018 called Heroin's Grip, the story about the opioid crisis. And we filmed that all here in Maryland. And as a part of that, I was doing ride-alongs. So with the sheriff's department, with local police department, with the fire and EMS services, because I wanted to kind of get their perspectives on the story. And the one day- Heroin is, heroin is a ugly, ugly oh demon. Oh, it is, it yeah. is ugly. Yeah. We, we show the truth in our film. We yeah. show the- the, the well, well, there's nothing pretty about it. It's all ugly. Yep. And so the one day I was with a, a police officer and the call came in for a fatal overdose. And so, you know, lights and sirens and we're off, off to this home and it's utter chaos. And I'm sure you've seen that many times. Um, you know, we, we walk in and here's a woman laying dead in the bathroom. You know, her parents are screaming in the living room and, it was a very traumatic scene as a civilian. I'm not accustomed to seeing things like that. And, but for the officers and the, the medics on the scene, it was just another Tuesday, you know? And yeah. so that got me thinking about how these, these traumatic scenes impact first responders. And I started doing my research and uncovered this whole problem. And, and then I always look for, okay, who else has told the story? Um, lots of stories about returning veterans and problems with PTSD is a huge issue, as we know. 
but almost nothing about first responders and post-traumatic stress. And so I thought, you know what? Here's my hat, throw it over the fence. I'm going to go make a movie about this. And so that's what I did. So, and still in the process. Was uh, that. PTSD 911, it's still in the process? Yeah, we're still in production. We're about three quarters of the way through production. Uh, my dream goal that I, again, I threw a hat over the fence. Uh, I set a date that I have to be done by. So a deadline, uh, it helps keep me on track. Uh, so October 28th is National First Responder Day. And yes. October 28th this year is my premiere date in Washington, D.C. for the film. So, uh, yeah, so really I can't excited. Wait. I can't wait to see it. Uh, actually, next this month, later this month, I got to get some of the projects out of, the, out of my way. But later this month, I start doing start doing the editing and to kind of help me. I still have some shooting to do, some some production work to do. But the, I kind of kind of lay some things out. It kind of shows me where the holes are and what I need to work on. But yeah, we're one of the questions I was going to say, one of the questions that I ask my guest is if you had a Netflix special, what would it be? But you're on your way to creating your Netflix special. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm I'm not a fan of Netflix as far as a filmmaker because they don't have very good, very good <laughs> deals for filmmakers. But I am I am I watch Netflix a lot. So uh, as far as the consumer side, yes, I, I consume Netflix, but I'm not a, a fan. of. But we have some amazing uh, ideas for distribution we actually want to create a resource for first responder agencies that they can use this as a as a in fact agencies are already using the trailer for the film in their training and got some agencies that are using it so that's exciting but i want to ask you how has your as as a law enforcement officer you've seen stuff i have how has your purpose outside of your day job, how has that impacted or helped you to deal with the shit that you've seen? So the way that it's helped me is it's, it's 100% given me an outlet to take my mind off of, uh, the crazy cases that I have, you know, like I'll, now I pretty much, I try to laugh at everything and I try to keep it light. Um, Going from special victims to the general squad, uh, like nothing seems as serious as those cases were, <laughs> you know? Uh, so like I was dealing with sexual abuse of children between the ages of infant to 18 years old. Can't imagine. And sexual and physical abuse. Mm -hmm. So um, now, now going from that to dealing with uh, a larceny of copper wire from Home Depot, you know, it's just, it's, it's just benign. not as serious. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or the prostitute who uh, she wasn't paid for her, <laughs> for her services <laughs> and she was supposed to be paid in crack and she wasn't paid for her services. Like those things, they just make me laugh now. Mm -hmm. So like, um, and then just going home and, focusing on trying to help other people mm. it's made it's made my day a lot lighter mm. like i look forward to going home and working on my side projects that i have going and i and my side business i i i so look forward to it and now like when i daydream i just daydream about being retired and just working full time like just being able to i had an idea in the shower uh just yesterday at the gym i was thinking about uh, documenting a hundred hour work week. Um, cause I've never worked a hundred hours on something. Mm -hmm. 
and I and I I have someone like yourself who's like a filmmaker who lives close, mm -hmm. and I was thinking about taking uh, like a a five day vacation from work, and then just working from like I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, okay, so that's about fifteen hours a day for six days a week. Mm -hmm. So it's seven. So I, then I tried to figure out what fifteen hours looked like. And when when would I sleep? Mm -hmm. So it's like seven a.m. to ten p.m. at night, mm -hmm. just me making phone calls, making connections, doing the little things. And I was thinking if I needed like an executive assistant because I have so many ideas and things, but like I really need help. Like what needs to be done mm -hmm. first? What's the priority? You know the priorities. I need help because I have so many big ideas. Like 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 you, mm -hmm. like yourself. I have so many ideas. I know you know, where I need to focus, but I just need a little bit of help keeping those ideas in check. And like, you know, what is, what's in, um, the book is what's important now. I can't remember who wrote it. Lou Holt, Lou Holt. Okay. What's, imp what's important now that the title is win. And it's like, what's important now. And that's what the whole book is about. Um, so that was my idea doing a hundred hour work week. Cause I had, I know a business owner um, he has a, uh, Aussie bowl shop and he talked to me and he, he works, uh, about 90 hours a week. Wow. And I'm like, man, that's incredible. But he, but he is successful. Mm -hmm. He's very successful. And I was just thinking, I'm like, man, if I put in a hundred hours in one week, I'm like, how much do I think I could get done <laughs> in my business? You know, I'm mm -hmm. like, I, I know I couldn't keep that pace going for mm -hmm. a long period of time, but and, and also I still work full time, mm -hmm. but when I retire, I could totally do that just for a short sprint, yeah. you know, like maybe a week here or a week there, like well, maybe a week, a month, a hundred hour work week. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, it was a fantasy. I had a daydream <laughs> and I was like, I wonder how it would feel, how much I could get done. You know, like I just, I wonder about That'd that. That'd be very fascinating have you, have you, to see that compared to like a normal work week and, and then compare the yeah. two, you know, and what. Because typically I only work about 20 hours a week on my side business, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, it's like slow growth, you know, mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with slow growth. But I think if you work in a sprint like that, where a hundred hour work week, I think that would be uh, mm -hmm. something, you know, where you so could what, get some explosive growth what keeps you focused on that future on, on on the future that you want well i've had this it, it's really i'm i'm pulled by the dream i'm i i wouldn't say that i'm i'm pushing myself i would say that I, i'm kind of like pulled by it because um i really believe that um not to get spiritual but i believe that i have an assignment mm. that i've been given mm -hmm. and it would be a shame that if, you know, God forbid I was on my deathbed and I never mm. carried out my assignment. Mm. There's, there's, uh, I, I've listened to a lot of speakers and there's something that one of the speakers said was, uh, there's only some, some voices can only penetrate some people. Mm. That's why you need many, many different speakers mm. because there are some voices that, like you just hear them and you hear what they're saying and it, it clicks, mm -hmm. it clicks just right for you. And like, the, and the light bulb goes off and then all of a sudden you're off to the races. Mm -hmm. 
And then there's some speakers and it's just like, wah, 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 you know, and you just like, you want to turn them off as soon as you hear them. But there's other people that, um, because of their background or because of, you know, what they, what they've been through, they, they just, they could, they click with you and they can, you can connect with their story and you're like, I want to learn from that person. And I want to, you know, I want to, I want us to soak up what they have, you know, and you've probably been around people like that yeah. and you know, everyone knows people like that. And that's why we need so many additional coaches yeah. and additional speakers out there. Yeah. That's why we need those people. So talk to that first responder who's out there, who's looking at their, the last few years of their work and looking at their future. What's, what's the first step they should do if they want to really thrive in their future, in their retirement? So the first, the very first step is to figure out what is the story that you want to create for your life and what is the story that you want people to tell about you, um, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years. Like, what is the legacy that you're trying to create? What, who is the family member or who, who is it that you really need to step up for? You know, like we do, we can do a lot out of love and I'm, I, I I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I'm trying to be a role model for my kids, my three sons, and I have big dreams and goals. I want to buy them each a house, you know, and I want, and I want to, uh, I want to have the time to spend in the evenings taking my granddaughter and my grandsons to their, uh, Brazilian jujitsu classes or their dance class or whatever it is. And I want to be able to work from my home. You know, I have a list of things. Mm -hmm. So, and my list of things isn't right for everyone, but there's someone out there who can create their own list of things. Like if you could, if you could build the house, like, like I said, so like build your vision mm -hmm. of your future, like just as, just for fun, as an experiment, take out a piece of paper and say, Hey, if I could build it the way I wanted to and try and be, you know, somewhat realistic. Mm -hmm. Like I know that I only live on a quarter acre, so I can't put a uh, 5,000 square foot home on, on this quarter, <laughs> quarter acre. It's a little more than a quarter acre, a third of an acre, whatever it is. But I know that I can't put a 5,000 square foot home that the town won't allow it. So if you know that you have uh, small children or you have, uh, you know, an elderly parent, then maybe you don't put down in your dream that you're going to travel around the world for six months at a time because you have obligations at home. So you have to do it within the realm of what is actually possible. I'm creating a, uh, I'm creating another book. I'm going to do an audio on it too, uh, from Wallace Waddles, 1910, uh, the science of getting rich, but I'm going to do it for first responders. Mm, very cool. And I'm in the process of writing that now, and uh, and updating the language as well because it was written in 1910. So, uh, you know, the language is a little bit old. But for the person who's transitioning out now, consider the fact that your story has relevance to someone else, mm. and your experiences have value to someone else, and that value can become your life and your business. Like we live in a day and age right now where you can turn on the camera 
You don't have to turn on the camera. You can just turn on the microphone and speak into a microphone and you can build a business around you. You know, the the business of you, Conrad Weaver, David Leith, and people will be attracted to the story of you. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just, an, it's just an amazing, amazing time we live in that you can just like, you can document everything that you're doing. You can document your life and someone will be interested in that. Yeah, it's And especially if, especially if you're a first responder, if you're documenting something around that field, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be other people who are attracted to that and you can build an audience and you can monetize that audience. It's just, it's just an amazing time we live in. And I just, I just wanted to be the voice of hope for that person who's gone through something traumatic at work mm. and you know maybe they've gotten some counseling for it or maybe they haven't but uh step one is to go get some counseling if you're still uh wounded you can't help anyone else mm. but if you've healed from that wound now you're in a position where you can you can start to help other people so step two is uh reinvent yourself and write down your story. Mm-hmm. That's step number two. You know, write down your story and figure out who it is that you can help. Mm-hmm. Like there is someone within, there's there's three major uh, niches in the world, you know, in, in the business world. It's health, beauty, you know, health, mm-hmm. wealth, and relationships. And then and then there's there's a few others. There's like, you know, personal development and then there's there's hobbies, mm-hmm. you know, special interests. Mm-hmm. Within that, you can you can you can use your story to help someone else. With, within within those, you know, like there's so many niches, sub niches from that fall underneath those that you can find, and the niches in the niches are the riches. Yeah, absolutely. Are you familiar with uh, with Donald Miller and his book Hero? On, I am. I am Story Hero Brand. On, yeah, Story Brand. Hero on a Mission. Al, Hero on a Mission. Yes, that's one of my favorite yes. favorite I've, books. I've got the book right here. Hang on. Yeah, so we both have it. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that he does when, when you go through the Hero on a Mission course as a part of his Business Made Simple course, the first thing he has you do is write your obituary, yes. which is very weird experience. Yes. And to be honest, full disclosure here, I went through the course, but I didn't write my obituary. Oh, I did it on the treadmill on my phone. Yeah. Uh, while I was listening, because I listened to it on audiobook, gotcha. and if I enjoy the audiobook, I'll actually, or if it's like really, really good, mm-hmm. I'll actually buy the book. And sometimes, if it's a big book, I'll go through the book and the audiobook at the same yeah. time. And so uh, that's something that uh, one of my mentors, Alex Ramosi, taught me uh, to to like get through a book really fast. Mm-hmm. If you listen to it on like one point five speed. Mm-hmm or 1.7 speed, your eyes can follow along gotcha. a lot faster and you can listen at the same time. So uh, I was listening to that audiobook, and he said, write your obituary and I paused it right then. <laughs> and now, and it's not to say that I always take immediate mm-hmm. action on all of the advice that I get because it's just impossible to do it. And uh, sometimes, you know, you, you're, we're all human. Yeah. We don't take the actions that we know we should take, but that's something that I actually did, and I, I just want to pull it up real quick. I have it in my notes section on my phone. So I have uh, in I have all these different folders in my notes section. I have coaching, goals, home, ideas, jokes, marketing, money, 
uh, personal development, and I think I put it in personal development. Let me see. Let me write down. Let me search. Uh, nope, it's not in there. But I know I have it somewhere. Obituary. Yeah, while you're while you're looking for that, yeah, I was. You know, it's one of those things that I know I need to do, and it's one of those action points that uh, I struggled with taking that first step. I was more interested in getting to the next thing, whatever that was. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. now I've, I'm really like convicted that, okay, I've got to go back. If I want to really do this, I've got to go back and write that obituary. And so if you, uh, if you walk on a treadmill, just, uh, just put some notes down on your phone as you're mm -hmm. walking. You mm -hmm. know, if you walk on a treadmill, it's just a great way to like, be active and yeah. get that done at the same yeah. time. You know, it's a great way to compress I'll time. I'll have to do that. I have an okay elliptical that I use, so I can I can probably do that on, on the elliptical. I'd like yeah. to read. So I didn't put it in as obituary. I put it in as my eulogy. Okay. That's how yeah. I put it in my notes. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know if you can see it. It's, oh, there it is. It's, it's not yeah. that long. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to read it. Okay. It's okay. Sure. It's not, it's not like very personal. Like I expect to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> But Dave Leith touched three generations of lives with his message of hope and heroism. Our children have heard your voice ringing in our home because David spoke. We have belief in the story of the hero. He helped us to see that all of us have a hero within us. The person who tries to be better over and over again sometimes comes up short, but in trying, moved forward just a little bit, just a little bit more and ultimately won the game of life. He served his family and community well, the first half of his life as an officer and the second half of his life as a super coach to heroes. Known as Super Dave, David Diem, Davy D at home, and King David. Mm. And that's it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You know, yeah, it makes me feel good when I read it. Sure. So it makes me smile. So like I don't feel sad reading mm. it. That's my eulogy, and like I hope to live up to yeah. that person. Well, you know, as uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, with 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 Craig Rochelle and the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, but he wrote a book. Never he, heard of. He, he wrote a book about the uh, book. I think it's called "Winning the Battle in Your Mind." He said, "Your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts." And so, and there's another author that I have I listened to who says that you know you, your life moves in the direction of your words. And so I think, you know, when you read that, and so what I do every day, uh, I have written down for this year, I have my, my mission statement for this year. And my, and, and so I kind of looked ahead at January 1st, 23, and I said, what will I have want to, to accomplish this past year? So I wrote that down on January 1st this year. And I don't read it quite every day. I try to, but I read it out loud. It's a whole page. I read it out loud every day. Because I know my life moves in the direction of my strongest thoughts. My life moves in the direction of my words. And so when I read that, it That's keeps beautiful. me focused. And, and one of the coolest things that I have written on there, one of my aspirations this year is to be, be a better husband and father. And so I put that in there. Is, uh, you know, I choose to move my life to be a better dad, a better husband, and to communicate. And I have an action step with that. And which is, means I got to communicate with my family every day. And so that reminds me every morning, hey, send my kids a text message, you know. And I, I, I fail sometimes. I don't get them a text every day. But I, every time I read that, it reminds me to do that. And so I know 
when I read that often enough at the end of the year, I'm going to make an improvement in my life. It might only be 5% improvement, but it's improvement. It's, it's better than I was a year ago. And so that's my goal is to, is to follow that plan and to read that daily so that I can improve my life. That's a beautiful goal. I love it. I, lo- I love yeah. it. Um, so I actually have to go into work for a, this today is my last one, a five to one AM. I wow. absolutely <laughs> hate working the night shift. Like I, if I could work a steady, like I flip flop days mm-hmm. and nights, but if I could work a steady day tour and wake up at uh, 4.30 every day and like be to the gym at five and have like a structured mm-hmm. life, I would do that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. But the, we just don't have anything that's available like that. So I have to leave and retire so that I can <laughs> create that, that like that normalcy. I, I need normalcy in my yeah. life. I, I'm starting to get, to get older and like, I don't like staying up past 1 a.m. Uh, sometimes we stay late and we'll stay till three, four in the morning. And then the following week I'm waking up at four, five mm-hmm. in the morning, you know? Yeah. So every single week I've gotten used to it over the years, mm-hmm. but uh, so many departments have these shift yeah. work yeah, and it's, it's so it's bad. bad for your it's health. So and there's no reason why it has to be right. that way. There's no reason why I can't just be on steady days and someone else could be on steady nights right. that wants that, that, Particular it gets into a better rhythm for your, your mind and your body, you know, when you're... Yeah, you have a healthier, happier employee. Um, I don't know what the mindset was mm. when they created these schedules, yeah. but it, it is it's not crazy. healthy. Well, I want to I honor your time and I want to wrap up here, but I want to give you the final word. Uh, tell me... Oh, thank you. Speak out to first responders, speak out to someone who is looking for purpose and meaning in their life. What's the final word from David? The final word is remember the acronym for hope. Help one person every day. And if you would like to have a 15-minute conversation with me uh, for free, obviously, you could go to my website, davidleith.com. I'll give you the spelling and everything. Um, it's pretty simple. It's L-E-A-T-H. Um, but you know, I'll put it, I'll put it in the show notes, obviously. And um just know that your story has value like you you have you have power within your story and if you learn how to use that power it can become your superpower i'm so into uh, marvel comics and <laughs> disney like we just watched uh, wandavision and uh, it was such a well-told story like they took you through her arc and the other book that i grabbed when i grabbed hero on a mission because i am a hero on a mission I teach people that have never heard, I know you've heard of Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces. Mm, I have not. So I teach, you have not. not. Oh my God. I'm right. That's, that's, that's a, um, that's a philosophy Mm. about all of the different types of hero. So the, the hero with a thousand faces, they show up again and again. It's, it's the way every movie and every story is told Mm. where uh, and that's where Donald Miller, that's that's the inspiration for his book, The Hero gotcha. on a Mission, is from Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, they they start out, they're in a place, and then they get to call to action. Sometimes it's a forced call. Like if you think of, um, I'm trying to think of any Star Wars movie. 
they start they start off life is normal and then all of a sudden something mm-hmm. happens where they're called away from their their home did you ever read the alchemist no i know Paul about Aquila. it but i have not read it oh my god that book is so good so uh that's like one of my favorite fiction books of all time he's he's he goes out on a mission he he he's reluctant to but uh he goes out on a mission and then what happens is this is the uh Joseph Campbell hero with a thousand faces story arc they meet they meet a they meet some kind of a challenge they meet a mentor the mentor gives them a lesson something that they they're able to use when they they reach this um they reach this pit. They have to go down into the pit. And when they go down into the pit, they're they're faced with their greatest challenge. And sometimes it's like a literal dragon um, where they have to slay this dragon. And then once they slay the dragon, they return back home forever changed. And they bring, it's called back bringing, bringing the boon. So they bring back the knowledge or the elixir. Mm whatever it was and they bring it back they're forever changed but they bring it back to the people uh who they used to live with and they help they help them so in essence the hero on a mission the hero becomes the guide Mm -hmm. and that's how they become the guy because they went and slayed their own dragon and we all have some kind of a dragon that we need to slay and whether it's time management or you know, financial management or relationship management, we have mm-hmm. some kind of a dragon that once you slay it, you can go back and be the guide for mm-hmm. someone else. And that's my final message. Well, David Lee, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your words of wisdom. I think you and I could probably spend hours talking about these things. And it's been a real pleasure having you on, on the program today. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to give you some resources when we, uh, I'm not going to leave the studio. David, thank you for sharing your story and thank you for the work you're doing to help train and teach first responders uh, to prosper and succeed, not only in their careers, but also in their future as they retire. And thank you for watching and for listening to the show. And please consider subscribing. Uh, Whether you watch on YouTube or watch on Apple Podcasts or on another podcast platform, please consider subscribing and hit the like button. And if you can make a donation toward our film project, we are still raising money for our film. We're in production currently, and we hope to deliver the film later this year as we uh, can. So please continue to support our project and as we'll continue to bring you content like this. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Please go out and be well, take care of yourself, take care of others. And I'll talk to you next time on the PTSD 911 Presents podcast.